Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? Have you ever considered living a simpler life? You know, raising chickens from chicks and growing tomatoes from seed and baking your own sourdough bread? Well, my thriver today adopted this slow and easy lifestyle and encourages others with multiple sclerosis to do the same. Let's chat it up with Claire. Hi, Claire. How are you today? Hello. I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so happy for you to be here, fellow podcaster and all. It's really nice to have you on the show. I appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you. It's really it's fun to have a bit of a chat about podcasting before we kind of got started. So that's always fun too. I know, right? Because I'm always learning from everybody, which is pretty awesome sauce. So. So Claire, we're going to dive right into it. And I know you've shared this before many, many times. So whatever you feel you want to share of your diagnosis story, we would love to hear those, those things that really you feel are important in that, in that story to you. Yeah, I probably haven't shared the whole story for a while. My diagnosis story, I suppose, started the end of 2016. I was having really sore back and I yeah I was in so much pain I couldn't stand up I, I found myself bending often at, at the waist and not being able to to right myself so I was almost like stuck at that right angle really sore lower back my walking started to get a bit funny and I started to visit um, our local physiotherapist who was great and she's like I've never seen anything like it like you know my legs were really bouncy and she couldn't figure it out and then you know things weren't getting really any better and she actually went on leave and so I decided to go and visit an osteotherapist and noticed that things again weren't getting any different then I you know reached out a whole nother kind of realm of things and went to a um, spiritual healer who told me that the pain in my back was related to childhood trauma and spirits living in my body. Something that I possibly could believe at the time because, you know, when you're in that and you're just looking for an answer. And so then I was speaking with my parents. My dad's actually a theatre nurse or has just retired um, as a nurse and my mum's a teacher, so pretty logical people. And they're like, Claire, just go to your GP. So I finally (laughs) went to my GP And he sent me straight to a neurologist. And from there, it was relatively simple since that. And after speaking with so many people um, about their diagnosis stories, I was pretty lucky in the scheme of things. So I went to a neurologist and saw him, just went on my own, didn't think anything much of it. And he, just before I left the appointment, told me that I either had MS or a benign brain tumor. Oh, oh, thank you. Yeah, yep. And then after that, I waited six weeks for my results. So I spent six weeks not knowing what was wrong with me, but knowing that there was something fairly significant in between all of that an MRI and... And I'd had MRIs previously looking at my lower back and that sort of thing. And obviously they just never did the whole lot, which is pretty common. You know, someone gets a lower back MRI or the leg kind of situation. So I had the MRI and the spinal tap and 
it's not part of my diagnosis story, but it is part of my story is that in between um, that six weeks, during that six weeks, my husband and I applied for what had been my dream job since I was 16. It was something I'd worked towards forever. And it was actually managing an outdoor education center off the grid, no, no vehicle access, like completely out there. And so we applied for the position between me being told I either had a brain tumor or MS and getting my diagnosis. So technically, I didn't know that I had MS when I applied. And so therefore, I didn't tell anyone. (laughs) I like that. So yeah, I was finally diagnosed. That six weeks was really rough. And I was finally diagnosed um, with MS. And I think it was within the next month is we actually got the job and moved. So I was diagnosed, then it was April 2017. So it had been maybe six months since I started kind of going to a physio and that sort of thing. So yeah, April 2017. And we moved to the job, which was five hours from our family for a five hours drive. We moved there in the start of July 2017. And we lived there and ran an outdoor education center for two and a half years. So I then completely ignored my diagnosis for that whole time. Okay, lots of questions then. So Outdoor Education Center, so what is, are you equipped with? What's the curriculum? Yeah, a they call it a pioneer-style um, setup. So we had a homestead where our staff live. We had five staff each calendar year. So we moved there mid-year. Someone else had employed the staff that we then took on. We then employed our next two calendar years' worth of staff. So the staff lived at the homestead. Toilets, long drop toilets, so dunnies in Australia. They were about a 80 metre walk from the homestead. We had running water that was pumped from the river that we were surrounded by, used gas for our fridges and fire for heating everything. And then our house, our family's house, my husband and we now have a seven-year-old son who was two and a half at the time when we moved there. We had a homestead that was 800 metres across the river so we had to catch a flying fox to our house and it was across the river and then about an 800 meter walk and you were raising a small child at this time too yeah yeah so how did this impact your diagnosis like you said you were kind of ignoring things yeah so I went there I didn't tell my employers but I did tell our staff so they knew that I wasn't going to be leading any hikes my job primarily was to run the website and manage the bookings, you know, staff management and calendar bookings and training and that kind of thing. So I spent most of my time realistically on a computer, which is pretty funny when you live somewhere without electricity. So in terms of it impacting my diagnosis is I just ignored it. I ignored my diagnosis. I stuck my head in the sand and I got on with my job. So you must have enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I loved it. So I actually had been there as a student when I was 16 and loved it. It changed my life. The camp changed my life at 16. And I went on then to study outdoor education and I worked there as a staff member when I was 18. So this this camp had had a huge impact on my the trajectory of my life and growing up and and what I learned and what I studied and and how I thought about the world. And then... Thankfully, when I met my husband, he was also into those sorts of things and he actually suggested applying for the job. And we'd been working towards that for 12 months. We'd been involved in the community and been going up and visiting, really putting down roots up there so that when we did apply for the position, they would know who we were and 
we would have kind of already have a foot in the door. It was really important to us. And I think in a way it, if I'd stayed here after my diagnosis and not gone and done that, I think it would have really sent me into a really depressed state because giving me the opportunity of doing something that I love and doing something I've been working towards kind of set me up for I can do whatever I want regardless of having this diagnosis. I did have a really big downward kind of explosion when I returned home after the position, but I think it really set me up in that early diagnosis for doesn't matter, I can still live my life. Yeah, that's a pretty great mindset, I think. And I I would assume that you would do the same thing over again. Yeah, I mean, it was full on. We had, like I said, the, the hardest part of it was managing and working with and living with our staff. And it was exhausting. Everyone who worked there is exhausted all the time. It's an exhausting job. It's an exhausting position. We worked with students coming up five days a week. We worked six days a week. We were running a farm as well as, you know, sending kids out on hikes and and all of that. Like it was huge and exhausting, but it was incredible and I would do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard for people to imagine, you know, getting unplugged like that, but I, I can just sense that it was renewing. I am not a camper by any means. And that lifestyle is not for me, but I could see what could draw you there. So how is that different than what you're doing now? So now we live in our home. So before we moved there, we actually had bought a block and owner built our house. So in Australia, I'm not sure if it's different in, in the States, but in Australia, do something called owner building where essentially I was the project manager for building our house. And I had a six month old crawling around on the concrete slab while I managed our builders and electricians and plumbers and whatever. So um, we were fortunate enough to buy a block in a beautiful small town in Victoria, Australia, and build a house here that has power and um, connected to Maine's water and and all of those easy things where we're 700 metres from the beach, where access to shops and schools and, and all those sorts of things. But in a way, the lifestyle and, and the way we were living before that too has really influenced our, I suppose, our values and our family's ethics and how we choose to live our life and teach our son to live as well. I feel like, you know, you're just following your heart and what you grew up doing and, and continuing that. And I'm sure you're passing all that on to your son. And you're at home. He's at home with you right now, you said. He is, yeah, yeah. We're in lockdown and he's remote learning, currently doing a scavenger hunt outside while I record this podcast with you. <laughs> fun, fun. I'm sure he'll find a lot of good stuff out there. I would love to live as close as you do to the beach. That sounds amazing and it sounds like you've got a really great location there. So since your diagnosis, but throughout your whole life, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment and who or what helped you to get that? Yeah, I think it's a really tricky question. I think so often we, particularly in Australia, we're really all about not kind of being outwardly proud about things. And I, I honestly, I'd say I have a few things that I'm super proud of. I am proud of my son and how he relates to the world. I bought him a, a new toy over the weekend and I there was something that someone had suggested to me would be a good activity. And so I found it secondhand because that's something that I, one of my values, I try and buy things secondhand. And I showed him, I said, oh, I've bought this thing. And I go, oh, look, the lady has to post it. He goes, is it secondhand? And I said, yeah. He goes, even better. That's so good for the environment. <laughs> and so to repair an item of clothing rather than buy a new one 
that makes me really proud because I think, like you said, it is how we live our life and the things that are important to us and then he sees value in that. I'm also really proud of the fact that we did go and made a huge difference to our lives and how we see the world. And I'm also really proud. I also host a podcast where we speak about MS and I've been hosting that and interviewing people for almost a year and the feedback and messages I get from people who listen to it who are newly diagnosed is just just means the world to me and being able to provide someone with some kind of answers that I looked for when I was newly diagnosed has just been something that I'm really proud of. Yeah, I, I would imagine that you get lots of feedback, like you said, from newly diagnosed. I know you really talk on your podcast about the different therapies that people are taking. What are you taking at the current moment? So I'm on um, a drug called Mazent, which is a fairly new one I'm understanding. It's kind of a big sister to Jelenia and mm-hmm. it's a daily tablet. And I found no side effects, which I'm super grateful for. And my symptoms are starting to look along the lines of secondary MS. And so my um, neurologist really wanted to me to be on a medication that helped with those long lasting symptoms. And I, f- I feel like I've noticed a difference, but I also do a lot of work in so many different ways to help the stalling of any progression. So what are your current symptoms? The main issue, my right leg I just don't have a huge amount of control over it, a little bit of that dragging or foot drop. And if I spend too much time, my right hand also gets quite tired. Holding a spoon can be difficult because I feel like they're so heavy. So it's really that right side, mobility and control. But despite all that, you're still going, going, gone. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. Not <laughs> not hiking and not running outdoor education camps anymore, much less okay. getting around physically. But yeah, I like to do lots of things. What brings you the most joy? What brings me the most joy? I know that shouldn't be that hard of a question, but I feel like there's just There's so many things. Moments with my son, getting out every day. I go for a jump in the bay. I've been starting, like I said, we're just near the ocean or the bay that kind of is at the bottom of Victoria. And I jump in the bay every morning and it just is such a refreshing kind of release of whatever happened the day before and really sets me up for a great day. And it's freezing, right? It's cold. Yeah. I don't know what the Fahrenheit temperature is, but it's 14 degrees Celsius today. And I think when I went down, it was possibly eight or nine degrees Celsius. So it's cold, like the ambient outside. We're in the middle of winter. It's pretty cold, but I, I do really feel a difference. Awesome. I think I think being in nature for me is that real joy and family. Yeah, I can hear all of those things resonating through all of the the story you shared with us. And I can see the smile on your face when you talk about it. So people saying that they, you know, have this oneness with nature. I'm envious of that relationship. I even just suggest starting just every day, if you've got a patch of grass, I don't know if you just take your shoes off and go and stand on the grass. Like if that's all you do to get close to nature, that and that's not, I don't imagine, a super daunting or scary, but yeah, just step outside without your shoes on and stand on the grass. Yeah, that sounds lovely, actually. Yeah. And youthful, right? Like mm. carefree feeling. You have such a thriving mindset. How do you maintain that? 
Well, I think it's through those things, like you say, the things that bring me joy, they're the things that you just need to do more of. So like I said, jumping in the bay every morning really sets me up for an amazing day. I have, I've started doing it about two months ago. And as you know, um, MS can be impacted by generally either the heat or the cold. And I was really hoping that the heat would, I was finding myself declining and we live where it's quite cold in Australia and and my mother-in-law who lives in Queensland, it's much warmer, about 26 degrees year round. And I was hoping that by going up there, I would notice a change in my symptoms and that the heat would be great and we could move there and everything would be wonderful. And I got up there and it was so hard. Everything was so hard. I was like, felt like a slug kind of wading through the heat. It was winter in Queensland. It's not as hot as it could be. And so when I came home two months ago, I really embraced being in the cold because I was like, right, that's it. I obviously like the cold. And so I started jumping in the bay. And It's been two months now almost. And I think I've missed six days. Four of those was because I, because I got a new tattoo and I wasn't allowed in the water. And one of those was because I had a toothache. And one of them was because the weather was really foul and I just didn't want to go in. But I really noticed the difference when I don't do that. So for me, that's like, at the moment, a non-negotiable start to the day. I also surround myself with things that I feel inspired by. So a lot of people I know find Instagram quite activating, seeing other people do the things that they wish they could be doing or, you know, feel jealous of things that other people are doing. But I really find Instagram to be really inspiring. So I love following people, seeing what people are doing. And I often find myself wishing I could be doing that what that person's doing or or borrowing that book from the library and so I think I use Instagram as a source of inspiration and I think that really helps me thrive and keep going because there's so many ways to tap into different things that can be uplifting on Instagram rather than following the people that make you feel crap about yourself yeah no doubt and seeing images of things that I don't want to see. But um, yeah, I follow great people on there. You're one of those people. It's see what everybody's doing. And those people in our community, especially that are doing things that, you know, they're just pushing through, whether they're in a wheelchair, they're weightlifting or, you know, going for a triathlon or an Ironman, whatever it might be. It's neat to see everybody really just getting out there and, and, making their best life. So Claire, tell me where your favorite place on earth is and why. What sense to you? I'm not sure that you'll be surprised by this at all, but my favorite place on earth is a beach in the Otways, which is in Victoria. And it's called Blanket Bay. It's along the Great Ocean Road, which is pretty famous. I don't know if, it's, if you've heard of it, but it's pretty well known in Australia. And there's a beach down there and it's this beautiful little beach called Blanket Bay. My family had been camping there since I was a kid. We went there every summer for one or two weeks with a bunch of other families and we'd run around like ferals, you know, our no shoes for two weeks and run around in the mud. And There'd be like a little gang of about 10 kids running around the beach and getting seafood and cooking it on the fire and then so kind of feel like I grew up there we kept going there as I got older and then I took my husband there on our second date and he said to me afterwards 
he looked really freaked out and I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, I had a dream once of this beach and a girl with long brown hair walking along it. And so he dreamt of this beach he'd never been to before. And then we actually got married on the same beach. And then we took our son on his first ever camping trip there when he was six weeks old and walked along it. And now he goes there camping too with my parents and the same lot of family friends that I went with when we were kids. So yeah, it's pretty special and um, pretty nice to be able to still go there and it still be relatively untouched versus, gosh, nearly 30 years ago when we started going there. So Yeah, it just sounds like wonderful memories that have been made and wonderful memories to be made in that location. And really, the I'm sure it's beautiful, but it's even more about the people that you made those memories with. So very cool. Thank you for sharing that. How do you inspire others to make the most of their lives? I would love and I really hope to say that through my podcast, it makes understood, particularly for the community of um, people living with multiple sclerosis, I really love to share and like you, share positive stories about living with MS because when I was diagnosed, so often the story that you're hearing is the person who hates life after their diagnosis and I really didn't relate to that story and I didn't want to relate to that story and so I wanted to be able to tell different people's life stories through the podcast and I really hope that inspires people to live their best life but also I think Instagram like I said earlier and through the podcast I don't share a lot of my simple living lifestyle but on Instagram I, I combine both of those so I really share a lot of my simple living tips and tricks in like baking bread at home or growing veggies or having chickens or recycling, as well as all of those tips with a chronic illness. So I think, yeah, through my podcast and also through my Instagram account. Well, we thank you for that. And it is so great to have gotten to get to know you a little bit better because like you said, you don't share a lot on your podcast. So this is a little um, insight into the real Claire. And I got to be honest, I was a little nervous to interview you today because you're such a great interviewer. And it was such a joy to be able to hang out with you for a little bit. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a such a treat and I'm so nervous because I don't often am now I'm bumbling over my words. I'm not often on this side of the interview. Yes, right. And so a little bit different perspective, but it was really neat getting to hear about your love of nature. And just like I said, it gives a little insight into who you are in your heart. So thanks for being with me today, Claire. I just want to say to everyone out there, thank you so much for listening and make sure that you have a thriving rest of your day. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Thriving.